Well, good morning, everyone. Well, as Chris and Lindsay just read, we are in Romans 12, verses 3 through 8 this morning. And I also want to echo, happy Memorial Day weekend to everyone. And want to also uh, lift up a congratulations to uh, all of our uh, students who are done with school for the year. And congratulations especially to our graduating high school and college students. Uh, it was an honor to uh, celebrate our high school seniors last Sunday, and I'm excited to see how God is going to guide their steps as they move forward into this area of life. Well, on January 20th, 1961, John F. Kennedy was inaugurated as the 35th president of the United States. And to all the middle school and high school students out there, no, I was not born around that time, as much as people might want to think, okay? 34 years later, I was born around that time. Wasn't even close to being alive back then, but there are many who have said that his speech that day was one of the greatest inaugural addresses of all time. And what highlighted his speech was a 17-word statement that some call the most inspiring words in 20th century American history. He said in this statement, Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And the meaning of that is, instead of being primarily concerned about how this country may, may, need, may meet your needs and your wants, focus instead primarily about how you can meet the needs of your country and how you can serve it. And I just have to be honest, I'm not a big history guy, and I'm really not much of a big quote guy, but that one stuck with me a little bit more. And it stuck with me probably not in the way that JFK probably had in mind. While he had one's civil service for their country in mind, as a Christian, I couldn't help but think more along the lines of my duty as a Christian toward my church. For me, at least early on in my Christian walk, I would look at church in sort of a consumeristic way. Like, what could my church do for me? What, how could they meet my needs and serve me? But as I got more plugged into incredible churches, like this one here at West Park, and as I got plugged into my church when I was in Louisville, Kentucky for seminary, I began to realize that while church is a place to indeed be served, it is also a place for followers of Jesus Christ themselves to serve. And instead of primarily asking and thinking of all the ways that the church can serve me, God began to work in me through my church experiences to where I began to grow in asking instead what can I do to serve my church? How can I, as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus Christ, serve God and also grow in serving others around me? And as we get into Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, I think that we can see that way of thinking is a biblical way of seeing the church of Jesus Christ and how we can approach it. And that, yes, while God's church serves us in many ways, many different ways. The reality is we as individuals are a part of the church as well. That church is not just something that we consume. We are the church. 
And while we can certainly enjoy the benefits of being in community with God's people, the truth is, is that we also are called to be active in serving one another in any way that we can and in any way that God has gifted us. And I pray that this morning can help us see that. And so as you see already, this morning we will be answering the question, how can I serve my church? We'll be answering the question, how can I serve my church? Well, as we read this passage, I think we see that Paul answers this question in three different ways. And the first way is, first, we serve our church in how we see ourselves. We serve our church in how we see ourselves. So in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul urges his readers that in view of God's mercy, to present themselves to God as a living sacrifice and to live totally and joyfully for him. And he says that the more they personally trust in God, the more they will be guided by God and the more that they will be able to understand his will for them. And as Paul talks about the personal transformation that God provides, in verses 3 through 8, we also see that Christians are to experience a relational transformation in the context of being around other believers in Jesus. He says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And so what we see here is first, Paul first calls Christians here to see themselves with humility. With humility. He says, don't think of yourself higher than you really are. Don't see yourself as better than anyone. And not only that, but don't see your gifts to serve the church as more valuable than anyone else's gifts. And perhaps when we can think about this ourselves, perhaps there are times where we see someone struggling with a particular sin and the temptation is to see them as somehow lower than us or that we may be better or more advanced than them in our walks with God than they are. Or perhaps as we serve the church with our different gifts and in different ways, we may be tempted to evaluate how our gifts perhaps are more valuable than others in their gifts in the church. Perhaps we think of and compare how many people watch my sermons or how many people attend my equipping classes or how many people attended the service project that I led or how many people are in my community group that I lead or how many chairs and how many tables I put up either before an event or after an event or how long I've served in a particular ministry, <laughs> or even just how often I go to church more than certain people. Now let me just say, to clarify, all of these things are good to evaluate in regards to who is coming and who we are reaching with the gospel. These are good things to consider. But if we look at these things for the purpose of thinking how great we are and comparing ourselves and how great we are, we are thinking of ourselves way more highly than we ought to. And as we are being transformed by God's grace, we are called to see ourselves in humility instead of puffing ourselves up in pride. And Paul continues in saying, see yourself with humility, but also see yourself soundly. See yourself soundly. 
Paul says, don't think that you're higher than anyone else, but also don't think that you're lower than anyone else either on the other side of that. Don't think that just because you haven't matured in Christ as much as you'd like, don't think that that means that you're a worse Christian than other people. Don't think that your gift is less significant than anyone else's gift because your gift may not be as noticeable to other people. Don't think of yourself as lower than others, but as Paul says here, think instead with sober judgment. Think with a sound and right mind. Think in a self-controlled way, in a way where you're not being tossed back and forth, either by your own pride or by your own insecurity. And Paul says here that we all as Christians are able to think with sober judgment, and we are to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So Paul says here, any kind of faith and any kind of gift that we have in Jesus Christ has been given to us by God, and there was nothing that we did to earn it. It's not our own natural abilities. It's not our own goodness that we have been given these things, that we have been given a saving faith, and that we have been given these gifts. The faith that you have in God has been given to you by the grace of God. And so Paul says here, don't think too high or too low of yourself because God has given you the faith that you need to trust in him. And because it is God who has opened your eyes to him and not yourself, all Christians are on equal ground. No one is better than anyone else and no one is worse than anyone else. Your faith in God comes from God, not from yourselves. And in the beginning of verse 3, Paul in the beginning says, he says these things and he says, by the grace given to me. And when you see that beginning sentence, he speaks with authority. He's saying, by the grace that has been given to me, I say to everyone among you. There's an authority that he's speaking with here. But even he acknowledges that his authority as an apostle, as a pastor, as an elder, his authority comes from God's grace, not from himself. And so as he speaks by the authority of God's grace, he then tells us in turn, don't forget to live in the humility that comes from God's grace over you. Don't forget to live in the humility that comes from grace. Don't forget to see yourself through the lens of God's grace that's over you. We also serve our church and how we see each other. How we see each other. Verses 4 and 5. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so Paul says here, as you all belong to Jesus, you also all belong to each other. And he clarifies this and he makes this more obvious for us by comparing all Christians to the human body in all of its parts and all of its members. And he says that just as one body has many members and many parts, just as the human body has that, so it is with you all as Christians. Because while you are all many, while there are many parts, many members of Christians, many Christians, 
you are ultimately one in Jesus Christ. And so as we see in verses 4 and 5, we see that the church of Jesus Christ was designed by God to be unified, but it was also designed by God to be diverse. There is a diverse unity going on in the body of Christ. One body has many members, but the members don't all have the same function. And as the body of Christ has many members, the members don't do all the same things or serve in the same way. But they work together as one. And they use their gifts. They use their abilities. Not for their sake, but for the sake of the kingdom of God. So think about this for a second. I don't think I've used a sports analogy when in regards to preaching here for over the last year and a half. So it's long overdue, so here's my sports analogy for this morning. One of my favorite Tennessee football players ever is Hendon Hooker. And no, that's not because of recency bias, okay? I'm not still just living off of the emotions from last year. Seems to be a great guy, was a great quarterback for Tennessee, big reason why we won a lot of games last year. But I'll say this. If all of Tennessee, Tennessee's players last year had the same size, the same speed, and the same abilities that Hendon Hooker had and nothing else, as much as I love Hendon Hooker and what he did, we wouldn't have won a game last year. We wouldn't have big enough blockers. We wouldn't have fast enough runners or receivers. We wouldn't be good enough or big enough at tackling. It'd be pretty ugly to watch Tennessee football as it was basically the previous 10 years. But what, tennis, what made last year so special for Tennessee? What led to Tennessee football flourishing last year? It was different players with different abilities, different skill sets working together as one team to achieve one goal. We had great blockers that protected Hendon Hooker. We had great receivers that caught passes from Hendon Hooker. We had great runners to help take the pressure off of Hendon Hooker. We had a okay defense that made stops when they needed to, right, in certain games. If Tennessee's talent and Tennessee's skill sets were not diverse, the football team would not be able to flourish the way that it did last year. And as we see here in this passage, everyone who is a Christian is different and has different gifts. And this is a good thing from God himself. God has assigned to us different gifts. And not only that, he's not only given us different gifts, he, he's brought us together here in this church at West Park to use our gifts collectively. Praise God that we're all different. I am so thankful that I am not looking at a crowd of hundreds of Colin Hughes. It would not be good. The church of Jesus Christ thrives and it flourishes when its members are unified and they're using the different gifts that God has given them. And notice too in verse 5. While the body of Christ is together in unity and is diverse in function. They are also putting each other, they are also putting each other ahead of themselves personally. As we are members of the body of Christ, we are not only serving with each other, we are also serving for each other. We do not serve to get our recognition or to get our glory. We're not trying to puff up our own statistics. We are playing, we are serving to help the rest of the body 
flourish, not just us. It's interesting. The human body has 10 different systems. And all of these systems work together in order for the body to function properly as a whole. So think about your lungs, right? Your lungs provide oxygen to the body. But your lungs actually rely on your heart and your blood vessels to deliver the oxygen that your lungs gather. They work together. They depend on each other. Think about your skeletal system. Your bones protect your brain and your spine, which is your nervous system. It's the control center of the body. But the crazy thing is, your brain and your spine are actually what control your bones and your muscles in protecting everything. They work together. Your digestive system provides nutrients to keep your body functioning and to keep your body healthy. And the urinary system cleans the body of waste that's produced from all the other body systems. They all work together. I hope I didn't butcher that for all the medical students in here. All of our body works together like a beautiful, complex, well-oiled machine. And that if one system doesn't work right, the whole body doesn't work right, and the whole body begins to fall apart. When one system doesn't work right, it can result in diseases, it can result in organ failure, and it can even result into death if it gets serious enough. And as we consider the body of Christ, this is incredibly important. Every member in the body of Christ needs each other, or the whole body will not flourish the way that it should. Every single member of the body, even members that would be considered smaller. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the parts of the body that may seem weaker or the parts of the body that may seem smaller are actually indispensable. You can't live without them. And then he says that if just one member of the body suffers, the rest of the body suffers with it. As Christians, we need each other. We need each other to serve God and to serve one another, to walk this Christian walk with each other and to not do this by ourselves. And we do this for the sake of God's glory and we do this for the sake of kingdom flourishing. We cannot live the Christian life without each other. We need one another. Each body system was created by God for the purpose of serving the other systems, not serving themselves. And with the body of Christ, God has gifted and created every single one of his children for the purpose of working and serving, not themselves, but for serving the rest of the body. And so think about this even in your personal time with God. As you are being transformed by God through prayer and through reading and meditating on the word of God, just know that while you are personally being transformed and personally being built up, the other purpose of that time is for you to be able to serve God's people. As you are being filled up by God, you are then called to pour into his people with the gifts that he has given you. And so Paul calls us to see ourselves in humility and sober judgment. And then he calls us to see our need for each other and how we must serve each other with our gifts. And speaking of gifts, we serve our church in how we see our gifts.
not just ourselves, not just others around us, but how we see our gifts. Verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So Paul starts verse 6 by saying that any gift that we have to serve one another in the church has been given to us by God according to his grace. So how do we first see our gifts? We see our gifts as not something that's naturally come to us, not something that we've been born with naturally and that we hold on to this ourselves. It's by his grace that we have faith in him, which is what we saw in verse 3. And it's by his grace that we have the gifts that we do to serve him. And so again, we're to be humble before God and before each other because the gifts that we have that help the body of Christ, they don't belong to us. We are simply stewards of these gifts, and we are called to be faithful stewards of it. And Paul says, because you are stewards of these gifts that God has given to you, Paul says, use them. Don't sit on the sidelines. Don't just come to church, get what you can get out of it, and leave. If God has gifted you in certain ways, use those gifts. Use them. Serve God. Serve the people around you. Get in the game. Use the gifts that God has given to you. As Paul calls the body of Christ to use their gifts, he then lists out seven different gifts as examples. Now, this isn't a complete list of gifts that God gives, and it also seems that these gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit. And while, yes, God can certainly use our natural gifts and even build on those natural gifts, these gifts right here that we see in this passage they seem to be divinely from God, given to us from God whenever we do become Christians. And the other truth with these gifts is, for the most part, all of us can do these things. All of us can do these things. We shouldn't read this list or even take a spiritual gift test and think that we can do some of these things, but we can't or won't do other things because we didn't test as high in that. But when we read gifts like these, the primary question that we need to ask ourselves is not what do I specialize in, not primarily that. The question that we need to ask is, what are the needs at my church? What are the needs at my church? And how can I meet those needs through performing these actions? We shouldn't say, oh, I can do this, but I can't necessarily do that. We shouldn't limit the Spirit's work in our lives. He could do many different things through us. But as we see here, there are gifts that God has especially given to us that we may lean more toward in regards to our abilities to do them, but also in a desire to do them. We may lean towards doing certain things because we, we have a passion for these things. We have a desire. We have an ability to do these things. God has gifted us uniquely in certain areas. So while we can all likely do most of these God has particularly gifted us in a few of these. So Paul starts off with the gift of prophecy. And when Paul is talking about prophecy here, 
Uh, he's not specifically talking about being able to foretell or predict something that's going to happen in the future. Instead of foretelling, it's actually a word that we like to call forthtelling or proclaiming the truth of God that has been revealed. Uh, in this time, before the Bible was completed, God would bring about his truth through spontaneous revelation to his people. And as you read 1 Corinthians, the church would often have to test those who claim to be prophesying from the Lord to see whether what they're saying is from God or whether it's not. Now, there's much debate today as to whether this kind of revealed truth of prophecy is still happening. And the reason why that's debatable is because now the Bible's complete. The New Testament is completely written. And that's a discussion for another time. Uh, you guys, for all of you who have signed up for the training program this fall, uh, ask Jake those questions if you ever have any of those, right? That's a discussion for another day. But what many scholars and pastors would say today is that while it's debatable that spontaneous truth revealed from God has continued or whether it sees, there is a sense that someone does fulfill a prophetic role when they proclaim the written truths that come from God's word. Matthew Henry, one of the great Puritan preachers, says that gospel preachers, in ways, are prophets through the preaching of God's written word. And may I just say, whether you're in a pulpit or whether you are proclaiming the word of God to your kids at home or to your friends on a college campus, that is a heavy task to perform. And when anyone does fulfill a prophetic role in this way, we must be careful to not take that lightly. So much so that when Paul says that if your gift is prophecy, use it in proportion to your faith. In other words, if you are going to speak of God's word, it needs to be aligned with the truth of the Christian faith. If you say you have a word from God, if you say that God has spoken to you, it better be God's word and not something that you make up. And it doesn't need to be out of emotion. And it doesn't need to be out of a desire to be heard. This should come from a reliance and a dependence on God and from a desire to lift up Jesus instead of lifting up yourself. Thankfully, for the sake of this message, the other gifts are a little bit more self-explanatory, so don't have to get into too deep of a description. And as we go through the rest of these gifts, I would like for us to think of ourselves personally and think about where God perhaps has especially gifted us. So think about this. If a gift of yours is especially servant, then use that gift and serve your brothers and sisters in Christ around you. Meet the practical needs that they have, however that may seem fit. Perhaps it's going to clean up yards and plant flowers at a place like Dogwood Terrace just right down the road. Maybe it's getting involved in a particular ministry here at West Park. Maybe it's helping put up chairs and tables after an event here. Our maintenance team always appreciates a few extra hands. Maybe it's just holding the door for someone and greeting them as they walk in. So many different ways to serve. So many different ways. And if you have a particular lean towards serving, find unique and creative ways to use that gift somehow. You don't have to be a deacon to serve your church. You can serve your church as a normal member. 
if a gift of yours is especially teaching, to explain the truths of God's word clearly and to prove those truths to whoever is listening. Use that gift. Maybe it's teaching kids club or teaching a group of middle school students. Or maybe it's teaching a community group. Maybe it's teaching at vacation Bible school in a couple of weeks. It also looks like, as a parent, teaching and instructing your family in God's word. Use the gift of teaching that God has given you. If a gift of yours is especially an exhortation, encouraging other Christians to endure in their walks with Jesus, to comfort them, to strengthen them, maybe even to warn them or convict them, if that is a gift of yours, use that gift wisely. There are many of us who may be discouraged in our relationship with God in here. And we need you to help encourage us not to lose heart in this walk with Jesus, but to keep going. And I must say from personal experience, I am beyond thankful for many of you here at West Park because of your encouragements. You have encouraged me in many ways and have lifted me up in many instances where I'm prone to feel downcast. When you use your gift of exhortation, it is a beautiful, wonderful gift. And if that is your gift, please use it. Use it. If a gift of yours is especially in contributing or giving of your finances and resources, use that gift. Use that gift. And as it says in here, use it in generosity. Use it in simplicity. No wrong motives, no desire to get back what you gave, but to give generously and to give without expecting return. There were multiple families here that, out of their own generosity, pay for students to go to summer camp this summer. We are incredibly thankful for that in student ministry. And personally, I'm beyond thankful for those who gave their money to the seminary fund here at West Park that was able to help me pay for my tuition. Thank God for those of you who did that. Maybe it's paying for meals or paying for any other immediate needs that someone here at West Park has. There are many opportunities here at this church to give. Not just to give money, but to also give of your time. And again, all can give some, but there are those who God has especially blessed with a gift of giving. And they are to use that gift for the sake of serving God's church. If a gift of yours is especially leading, to give vision and direction to those following you, whether you're a parent or in another leadership capacity, use that gift, and as it says in this passage, use that gift with zeal and with passion. Leading a community group leading a service project, whatever it might look like, if God has gifted you with a leadership role, do not be an inactive leader or don't be a leader who abuses their authority. Use your leadership by giving direction to those around you, to those looking to you. And not only that, but use your leadership position as an opportunity to serve people further to create avenues to serve other people further. 
And finally, if a gift of yours is especially in performing acts of mercy, such as helping those who are sick or poor and needy, such as those who may be orphans or widows or anyone who may be in a particular distress, if a gift of yours is ministering to people in this group, use this gift. And as it says in this passage, use this gift with cheerfulness. Those who are suffering in any way need someone to joyfully carry their burdens. The last thing, if you are struggling in any way, the last thing you need is someone who is trying to lift your spirits begrudgingly and without joy. If you have the special gift of mercy ministry, use your gift well. Maybe it's helping with grief share here at West Park. Maybe it's helping with divorce care. Maybe it's serving with the Bread of Life food pantry. Maybe it's serving another family who is dealing with cancer and other diagnoses and just helping out with their house. The young adult group did that this past Thursday and did a fantastic job. Maybe it's pursuing the process of becoming a certified biblical counselor. Or maybe... It's just loving and supporting someone who you know is struggling. If this is your gift, you are such a precious part of this body. And you are able to encourage other parts of the body who aren't functioning well. And we are thankful for that. Use that gift with a cheerful, joyful heart. Again, we're all able to do these things for our brothers and sisters because we've been given the Spirit of God. We can do this all in some capacity. And as we continue to serve the church, we will notice that God has gifted us in certain ways more than other ways. And because God has gifted us in those ways, we're not called to put those gifts on the shelf. We're called to use those gifts further. To serve the church in any way that it needs but to especially use the gifts that God has given you a lean toward and to grow in those gifts, not for the purpose of lifting yourself up, but to lift Jesus up and to lift up everyone else around you. So how do we serve our church? We serve our church by seeing ourselves humbly and soundly. We serve our church by seeing our Christian brothers and sisters the way that we ought. And finally, we serve our church by seeing the needs of everyone around us. We serve our church by seeing how God has gifted us in certain ways. And we serve our church by using those gifts that God has given to us to meet the needs of our church. And the purpose of all of this at the end is to ask God, Use us, Lord. Use us. Don't just use me. Use all of us. And let us not serve for the sake of lifting ourselves up, Lord, but to lift you up and to lift the body of Christ up as a whole. Lord, use us. Not just me. Not just others. Use us. I've been reminded this week just how unworthy I am of my faith in any kind of gifting that I may have. I am so unworthy 
to belong to God, and I am so unworthy to be used by him. And yet, even when I may be unworthy on my own, God is so faithful. God is so merciful. Even though we willingly blinded ourselves in sin, he was merciful to open our eyes to see Jesus and to come to faith in him. And even though there is nothing that I can do to add to his kingdom on my own, he is merciful to bring me into his kingdom work and to let me and to help me participate in it and to use me to make his name known and to build up his people. And Christian, that is the same for you. That's the same for all of you. It's God's gracious blessing that you get to love God and that you get to know him. And it is God's gracious blessing that you get to serve him and participate in his kingdom work. Well, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And as they come back up, I want to encourage you to think this morning and ask a personal question here. What is one other way that I can serve God along with my church here at West Park? Perhaps you're not serving. And perhaps this morning, this may be a a call God may be stirring in you. I need to get involved somehow. God has gifted me in some ways. I can get involved in his kingdom work somehow. But let me ask you, if you are serving and if you are able to add something more to your plate, what is one other way that you can serve God along with your church? Maybe God is making obvious through a passage like this, making something obvious inside of you this morning to use a gift that God has given to you in some kind of capacity. And I want to encourage you to pray about that. And I want to encourage you to pursue that. There's actually a couple of service opportunities out on the cause wall if you walk into the hub. And actually, if you look under the TV next to the connections counter, there's also a few bulletins that have information about certain ministries here at West Park. And to at least show interest, that is, that's amazing. That's a great start. But I would also like to encourage you to contemplate how Jesus has served you in the ways that we see from this passage. It's interesting how God calls us to serve here in these different ways. And that when Jesus came to this world to save humanity, he did these very things faithfully and perfectly. Jesus is the prophet who was rejected in his hometown. And he was the prophet who Moses wrote about, proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God and proclaiming forgiveness of sins through him. Jesus is the king of the universe who came to this world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the good teacher who perfectly instructed everyone around him in the written word, perfectly and concisely. And the reason why is because as he teaches the written word of God, it's because he's the living word.
God. Jesus is the one who exhorts the sick and the broken and the downcast and the sinful to not lose heart, but to come to him for healing and for restoration and from a light burden and from an easy yoke. Jesus is the one who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but in perfect generosity, he gave himself away and emptied himself to the form of a servant to die for our sins and to die for our shame. Jesus is the great, passionate leader. He's the good shepherd who eagerly told everyone who he came in contact with, follow me. Leave behind your past. Leave behind your sin. Leave behind your shame. And come, follow me. And Jesus is the one who not only committed perfect acts of mercy, but committed the perfect act of mercy. As those who were paralyzed would come to him, they would go to Jesus and say, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And he is the one who committed the perfect act of mercy, willingly going to the cross for those who hated and despised him so that they may receive ultimate, true mercy before God. Fulfilling what he said in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What an amazing Savior we know and what an amazing Savior we serve. And what an amazing community that he has given us here at West Park. The universal church, yes, all Christians, but here specifically at West Park. As you serve Jesus and as you serve his body, Remember how he served you. As you give mercy to others here, remember how he's given mercy to you. And for those who do not know this Jesus, I beg you, do not serve him without knowing him first. Do not serve him without coming to faith and to trust in him. It is impossible to give the mercy that someone needs without you having the mercy that you yourself need. Come to Jesus this morning. Experience his saving power and then join us as we approach our Savior and say, use us, Lord. Use us. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself away so that, Lord, we may come to know you. Lord, we thank you for the faith that you have given us, and Lord, we thank you for the gifts that you have given us. Help us live every single day, living humbly and soundly before you, 
Help us, Lord, see each other and love each other and to serve each other however way we can. And Lord, with the gifts that you have given us, Lord, give us the grace to use them. You've given us the grace to possess these gifts as stewards. Father, give us the grace to use those gifts. And we pray this in Jesus' name.